The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. As you know, Jesus is on the Mount describing what every Christian ought to be like. Jesus embodied these characteristics as a spirit-filled man. What was always true of Jesus as a man is potentially true for each of us as, uh, as men, as human beings, every day. Here's another way of looking at it. I'm a Christian because I've been born again. Thus, the Beatitudes ought to describe me. I ought to be manifesting them as characteristics. They are my being. They are my attitude. It's, it's the, the new nature that God has put within me. If I'm not manifesting them, then I've gotten derailed somewhere along the line. And so there, there is a sense in which we can use the Beatitudes as uh, a way of measuring ourselves. Uh, because the approach we have is, that, oh, oh, this this is a Christian. This is what a Christian is. This is the new nature. You, you see it in Jesus. You see it described. To the extent that I'm not doing that, then I've gotten off track. Now, these Beatitudes are, of course, building upon one another. Uh, conscience of my spiritual poverty before God. I mourn for my sin. My true and honest assessment of myself leaves me both meek and hungering after a practical day-to-day righteousness. And as I am experiencing more and more what it means to be righteous, I cannot help but become merciful. Righteousness, remember, is being right with God and then living rightly every day in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is therefore to be like God, and that's why I cannot help but be merciful because God is always full of mercy towards me and towards everyone else. And so it's just the nature of God to be merciful, obviously. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be saved. There wouldn't be a world. People sometimes ask, you know, why does God let things go on? Because the alternative is awful. Uh, The alternative is what you read about in the book of Revelation, that he winds things down. He finishes uh, the work of redemption and destroys uh, this creation and sends all those who are unbelievers to a Christless eternity in hell. Uh, and so God is merciful and he's long-suffering in his mercy. So I am merciful because it is God's nature to be merciful and therefore my new nature, the nature of God within me. It might be helpful to get a handle on mercy. Mercy is often paired with grace. When you read through the New Testament, grace and mercy are uh, paired together. Here are two of the common ways, therefore, of describing it when the two of them are used in conjunction You've heard that grace is getting what you don't deserve and mercy is not getting what you deserve. Uh, And so that's good. I like that. Uh, Another way of looking at it, grace looks at sin as a whole. Mercy looks upon the consequences of sin and then wants to do something about it. A good working definition of mercy is pity in action. Pity is a word we don't use too much. Uh, it has a negative connotation, really. We talk about people having pity parties, and, and but but it's a it's a big word. It's a word full of compassion when you actually have pity on someone in a genuine sense, and then you want to do something about it. Uh, and, and in this case, we have a genuine pity for the miserable effects of sin, whether a person deserves them or not, and then you look for ways to relieve them. Uh, and that's important. That's a whole other meditation, but. Obviously, a lot of times people deserve the consequences of their behavior. 
but we can still pity them because they are sinners. Uh, It is the consequences of a sin-filled lifestyle. We want to do something to help them. This really is kind of the basis for all mission work, is that we have pity on the the horrible consequences that sin has brought to a culture or to a people. We want to reach out and help them. The story of the Good Samaritan illustrates mercy. It illustrates a lot of things, but mercy is one of the things it illustrates. Others saw the beaten and robbed man, but for one reason or another did nothing to relieve his miserable condition. Only the Samaritan put pity into action and therefore showed him mercy. He was merciful to him. God, of course is the ultimate example of mercy in action. The Father, as it were, saw our terrible, pitiable condition looking down from heaven after we sinned, our fallen condition in Adam and Eve, and he had pity on us. came down into the garden, uh, sought after Adam and Eve, worked through their lying to him, uh, lying to his face. Imagine lying to, to God, I mean, face to face, you know. Uh, and and still had pity on them, you know. Didn't didn't say, "Hey, I'm through with you. I disown you." You know that kind of thing. It wasn't the angry parent that we see sometimes at the mall this time of year. Uh, uh, and by the way, I saw some really angry parents at Disneyland. I, I almost I almost wanted to arrest some people. You know, they're like yelling at these little tiny kids who've been walking around all day. You know, with their little tiny legs that, you know. And I remember this one in particular, I almost started to cry. The lady bent down. She goes, you have not been a good boy, so you do not deserve to be here. And I mean, it was just terrible. Just, I want to become a parent police. In, in, the, in the millennium, I want to be a parenting policeman. No, they kept going, you know. Yeah, probably. Anyway, it was crazy stuff. Uh, so God had pity on us, uh, and he acted upon that pity, and he sent Jesus. And I would add that Jesus, of course, came voluntarily. Uh, it's showing his mercy upon lost mankind to relieve our distress. And, and, and that's an understatement. And then Jesus saves us. And when he does, he sends the Holy Spirit to comfort us. And, and what a great mercy that is to us, to, to have the indwelling Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And so it is a merciful God that we love and serve. So I think we all understand what I've been saying. There's nothing really new there. What we have trouble with here is this phrase that says, for they shall obtain mercy, because immediately it sounds as if Jesus is saying that only if I am merciful towards uh, others will God also be merciful towards me. It sounds conditional. And, And when you hear this taught and when you read about it in commentaries, People really stumble over this. They, they try and figure out how to explain this uh, in a way that, that sort of makes sense. And by the way, there are a couple of other places where we seem to have this same kind of a dilemma. In the Lord's Prayer, when he is teaching us how to pray, Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And immediately we, we think in terms of a cause and effect. And then there's a parable in Matthew 25 of a wicked servant You remember he owed his master an unrepayable debt and he was forgiven the entire debt. And then someone owed him like a quarter uh, and he threw the guy into prison because he couldn't pay. The master hears about it and he says, you wicked servant, I forgave you, but you won't forgive others. So he throws him into prison 
after that, and it says that, actually it says he throws them where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is a description of hell. And so <clears throat> those are interesting passages that, that we have to struggle with. Well, here, first of all, just logically, if forgiveness and mercy are conditional, uh, then no one could ever be saved because I could never forgive enough or have enough mercy to really m earn salvation or even to maintain my salvation. Uh, I could never forgive others enough to earn my own forgiveness or be so merciful that I would deserve mercy. And so just right off the top, that can't be conditional. And second of all, if these things are conditional, then salvation itself is not by grace, it's by works. Whether it starts by grace or not, then it would continue by works because y you could only remain forgiven it to the extent that you forgive. And we know from studying the whole of Scripture that we are indeed saved by grace and not by works of righteousness like being forgiving and merciful. Uh, so so we're, we're in a territory where we have to understand that it, it, it can't be what it sounds like on first reading. Being merciful is not something I must do to earn my salvation. It is something I already am because I'm saved. I, I wasn't merciful. God shows me mercy. Now I have the nature of God and I'm able to show mercy. I may get derailed from being a merciful person, but when I do, I don't lose my salvation. We still have not answered the question, though, of what Jesus means when he says they shall obtain mercy. Well, there are really two lines of thought that make sense to me, and I hope they'll make sense to you. One has to do with my present need, and the other has to do with my future reward. And so let's talk about my present need first. Obviously, I need God's mercy every day of my life because I still sin, and I'm still a sinner. Uh, Paul the Apostle, late in his career as an apostle, still identified himself as the chief of sinners. He was chief sinner. And, uh, you know, when he would, went to new cultures, he says, how? And <clears throat> anyway, he did. Anyway, so he was the chief of sinners. Uh, and I will need God's mercy right up until the time I stand before Jesus Christ at that bema, uh, his reward seat, to be judged. And then finally, everything not of God and not fit for heaven will be purged from me and I will be fit for eternity both physically and spiritually. And so here's what I think Jesus was saying about mercy, at least in the present. I'm a Christian, and therefore, by definition, I have obtained God's mercy. That's, what it, that's part of what it means to be a Christian. God was merciful upon me, and he saved me. I'm also merciful to others precisely because I am a Christian. I wasn't able to be. This isn't a natural quality, although we, you know, there are people who show mercy uh, in the movies and in the world, you know, but the kind of mercy we're talking about here is a supernatural mercy. And so I wasn't able to do that, but now I am able to do that because I'm a Christian. But I also continue to obtain mercy throughout my life because I still sin and I continue to be merciful and so on and so on. So it's more of a progression rather than a condition. In other words, these two phrases describe two different aspects of my Christian life. I continue to obtain mercy from God in my need, and I continue to be merciful towards others because it is God's nature and my new nature. And there's really not a suggestion. I mean, we read it that way, but it, it, there's no suggestion that it doesn't literally say God will only be merciful to you to the extent that you're merciful to others. It says, blessed are the merciful, and that describes me as a Christian, 
And it says, I will obtain mercy, which is something I need every day, and really every minute of every day. Uh, so it's not a conditional phrase. It's not saying if you don't show mercy, you won't receive it. It's saying you have received mercy and you therefore extend mercy and you continue to do both for your entire life. Again, if I'm not showing mercy, I've gotten derailed. I'm living the Christian life on a fleshly level. I'm living as a legalist. I'm living as a carnal Christian. Uh, and, and this is more of a kind of a, I guess you'd call it a doctrinal point. There are people who come to this with the position that you can forfeit your salvation. Uh, that once you're saved, you can, by decision, decide that you don't want to be saved anymore. Or some would just say that if you're saved, but if you sin too much, you're going to lose that salvation. And they would read this as that, hey, if you're not showing enough mercy, hey, you're, you're just, you know, the rapture's going to happen. You're going to find out that you weren't, you weren't good enough to go. And we reject that on several grounds. Uh, I mean, you know, if you've been born again, you've been born again. And then you, but it is possible for you to be carnal. Paul talks about carnal, fleshly, sinning Christians in uh, 1 Corinthians especially. I mean, the whole church was full of people who were just blowing it. There's no suggestion that they needed to get saved. They needed to repent and live the Christian life. So it's possible for me to have obtained mercy from God, but not be merciful towards others. God saved me by grace through faith. He was merciful to me, to all of us, while we were yet sinners. With his nature within, we can be merciful to others. If we're not, it's because we are choosing the flesh and not yielding uh, to him in the spirit. So what about the Lord's prayer and forgiving our debtors or the wicked servant who would not forgive the small debt owed him and was therefore cast into outer darkness? Well, let's take that wicked servant first. If you turned there, it would be Matthew 25, and then you'd remember that the context of Matthew 24 and 25 is Jewish, and it's talking about, in some places, people who professed to be believers but never really knew the Lord. And that's why context is always important. And so the argument could be made that the wicked servant in Matthew 25 is someone who, a Jew, who thought that they had received God's forgiveness but was applying the letter of the law to others and the kind of person that Jesus would say, depart from me, I never knew you. And so that's, an, that, that's one way of looking at that. What about the Lord's Prayer? God has forgiven you. You can therefore forgive others. If you do not forgive others, you're just being fleshly and carnal. Uh, and so forgive us our debts. I ask God to forgive me my sin or my trespasses as we forgive others, not to the extent that I do it or if I do it, but it, it, the, again, those are two aspects of my Christian life. Godward, I need forgiveness. Manward, I'm able to forgive because, precisely because I'm a Christian. And, and so there's, I don't see it as a cause and effect thing uh, at all and stuff. And, and uh, it, it's just that I'm not living the kind of life God wants me to live. The free, I'm not free. I'm not rich. I'm not wealthy in spiritual things if I lack mercy and forgiveness. Uh, and then, secondly, there's also a future aspect that helps us understand how it is we obtain mercy. Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 16 and 18, we find the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. The Lord grant him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And then in Jude 21, the saints are also exhorted to be looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, both of those are references to the coming of the Lord. That day is the coming of the Lord when we will stand before him in judgment. And there Paul says, then we will also obtain mercy. Doesn't mean we'll finally figure out if we're saved or not. It means something's going to happen on that day. Uh, as I mentioned, we'll stand before the Lord for judgment. If I've lived in my flesh as a carnal Christian, withholding forgiveness and refusing to show mercy towards others, I will not obtain reward for that mercy as I might have. Those sinful fleshly attitudes will be burned as wood, hay, and stubble. I will suffer loss of rewards, according to Paul. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll be saved, but so much that might have brought glory to Jesus will be burned up instead. And by the way, this is a, a lot of times people think, well, what's, what's the deal with the bema of Christ, you know, in terms of everything burning up and you throwing your crowns, you know, I mean, who, who really needs the rewards anyway and stuff? I think from the aspect that it would bring more glory to the Lord, that you would like your life to, to have glorified God for all that he's done for you. When we finally see the Lord in his glory, with his love and compassion, what a joy it will be to have some things that he inspired to actually offer to him. You ever, ever gone, you know, someplace and, and not brought a gift when everybody else did or, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of, I can't think of an occasion right now, but it's just kind of crazy, you know, and, and uh, you just feel stupid. Uh, you start looking, oh, i got to go out to my car, and you wrap up a tire iron or something like that, you know, whatever. But, uh, so on that day, I mean, we, we can obtain uh, the reward for our mercy, and in a sense, obtain mercy in that sense and bring glory to the Lord. Think of it this way. Being merciful is pity in action. That's what we said at the beginning. Therefore, it involves works of kindness and love towards others. As a motive for my actions, it inspires the kind of works that will be rewarded when I stand before the Lord. Thus, to the extent I am merciful, I shall, at the reward seat, obtain mercy or obtain the reward for the mercies that I've shown. And so that's... that's Kind of more what I think it's. You know, I, I don't. I do think it has this present aspect of, you know, needing to obtain mercy moment by moment, but also uh, mercy. Mercy is is really the the first kind of action thing that I'm doing in the beatitudes towards other people, and, and it encompasses all the things that I do to it's the motive for all the things I do towards others. I love them and I care for them and I reach out to them because I am merciful. Their condition uh, requires the, the ministry of the Lord. And so the Lord looks at that and he's willing to reward that He and I can obtain for that. And so all I can say is thanks be to God for his mercies that are new every morning. And how can I help but be merciful to others uh, for all that he's done for me? Amen? Amen. All right, man.